Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I want to talk about booze. Alcohol has played a huge role in my life and is responsible for some of its highs and a lot of its lows. I'm interested in what role it plays in other people's lives and how things like age, race, class, sex, religion, geography, profession, health conditions, family history, and good old-fashioned trial and error affect what they drink and why they drink it. I'm not here to preach to anyone. I'm certainly in no position to do that. I'm just looking for a better understanding of alcohol's role in Britain in 2019. This is The Drink. Please listen responsibly. Hello, Hannah here. I know, I'm, I've hit two deadlines in a row, two Tuesday deadlines. There's never been such times. I am going to keep this bit short, though, because it's Sunday and I need to take some stuff to the tip because that's how exciting my life is. In this episode, I talk to the brilliant comedian, author, former journalist, Jane Hill. That is coming up now. Just to let you know, I also managed to sneak out last week and catch, we didn't have a drink because she was about to go on stage, but to catch the brilliant comedian, Kiri Pritchard-McLean, to talk about how she is allergic to alcohol. And this evening, I'm popping out for a drink with the comedian, Sean McLaughlin, to talk about drinking when you're sad. That will be coming up in the next couple of weeks. I've got loads of other people booked in coming up. So thanks for listening, guys. And just a reminder that if you want to talk to me, I am at That Dunleavy or at The Drink Podcast. Until next week. Hi, I am here having a nice cup of tea. Well, I'm having a nice cup of tea as ever. Jane Hill, who I'm with, is having a cup of coffee. That's Jane Hill, the comedian and writer. Yeah, I'll do. Thanks for joining me, Lots of other things, but... Yeah, loads of things. Loads actually. of things, yeah. You're like Stephen Fry. Thank can't, you. Can't pin you down in one area. <laughs> so, you were having a coffee. Yes. And you're not a drinker. When was the last time you had a drink? Um, other than communion wine. The last time I had a drink was on the 15th of December, 2002, at about three in the afternoon. Oh, that's very specific. It is very specific, isn't it? Now, you knew that was going to be your last drink when you had it. Yes, yes, I did, yes. Yes, it was my ceremonial last drink after reading a book called The Easy Way to Control Alcohol. And it says, pour yourself a drink you don't really like. So I poured myself a neat, a large tumbler of neat single malt scotch whiskey and kind of gulped it down. And I can still remember the taste now. Yeah, that's pretty rank. Yeah, really. I, I honestly don't think, I think anyone who says they like scotch is just pretending. Uh, I don't like scotch. I like whiskey. I like Irish. Okay, okay. I yeah, like, I never tried Irish. I, I like hadn't moved Irish. on to that. I like bourbon. 
Okay. Which is sweeter. Yeah. In fact, I like bourbon a lot. Tin and Dewey yeah, was telling me the other day that Japanese whiskey oh, really? is quite the thing. Ah. But very, very expensive. Right. So I was training myself to like scotch originally. That's why I had yeah. a bottle, because I thought that I was the kind of drinker, the kind of sophisticated, hard-bitten slightly blokey drinker who ought to move on to scotch that neat scotch should be my drink I felt it should be my signature drink because it just seemed the kind of person I was and so I was training myself to like it and then I realised that it was all a thing and perhaps that was a symptom of just yeah. how screwed up my alcohol. That was a book by Alan Carr. Alan the, Carr, the yeah, yeah. The, 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 the one who writes the smoking ones, not the comedian. Yeah. So I assume that that was successful for you in that you haven't had a drink since. It was extremely successful. It was amazing. It's some kind of weird magic. I, I, I don't quite understand how it works. But I think the key thing that he does, or whoever now writes his books because he's long dead, it's one of those, it's like James Patterson, oh, you know, okay. somebody else writes the books now. But I think the key point that was made is rather than the kind of Alcoholics Anonymous thing of one day at a time and it being a struggle, he says you're basically freeing yourself for life from the poison of drinking alcohol and you'll never have another hangover. And that was the key, it was never having another hangover because I can tell you every different flavour of hangover. Yeah, yeah. well, I feel you on that because I am, as anyone listening to this will know, I am, yeah, bad with hangovers yeah. and getting progressively worse. Yeah. You feel like the amount that you drink in many ways, that hangover, your body should become more accustomed yes. to Yes, yeah. Uh, I thought, why alcohol. am I still getting hangovers? Alcohol's like mother's milk to me. I yeah. should, the amount I drink, or the, the amount I used to drink, I should never have had a hangover. Yeah, you feel like 14-year-old you yeah. was the person that yeah. should have gone, what the hell is yeah. that? Yeah. So, question. You mentioned the word alcoholic. Yeah. Is that a word that you would apply to yourself? I do apply it to myself in a fairly loose way. And what I mean by it is that I'm a person who doesn't drink because I think if I had a drink, I wouldn't know where to stop. So if that's the definition of an alcoholic, I would say that's probably me. But I've never put it to the test. I just know that for about eight years of my life, there were only about five days where I didn't touch alcohol. And that was because I was on antibiotics. And whenever I drank, I drank to excess. So if I opened a bottle of red wine at home that bottle would be finished by the end of the evening. So the natural conclusion is you were pissed for eight years? Yeah, I was basically right. pissed for eight years. Well, holding down a really, really kind of responsible grown-up job, which I was doing every day with a hangover. And then, of course, you do it with hangover, so the job feels more testing and more difficult and more stressful. So, of course, the first thing you do when you get home is you start drinking again because that takes away the pressure. Yeah. But, of course, it adds to it as well. Okay, so, I mean, this sounds familiar to me because my, my dad was high-functioning while he worked. And then, obviously, when he didn't work, and he lost routine in his life, and also a mm. bit of purpose in right. his life, yeah. alcohol sort of filled that void. And he was able to go all day, obviously, without a drink, yeah. if there was something else to do, which sounds similar to what you're saying. A lot of people would say to me that they didn't think that he was an alcoholic, mm. because he could go for those periods, yeah. you know what I mean, yeah. without having what I would describe as a physical yeah. reaction to that now you came away from drinking and it, you've made it sound quite easy yes I'm assuming that you also had no physical I didn't have physical effects afterwards I know that when I was drinking I would never really start until six in the evening you know when I got home from work yeah. I would open a bottle of wine or I'd go out so I, I never drank before six 
and that was quite important to me because that was part of my oh I'm not an alcoholic because I'm not drinking during the day yeah um, but I do know I used to have to go to quite a lot of evening events in my job I worked in in local radio so there'd be sort of evening receptions and if it got to eight o'clock and I hadn't had a drink yet I would start to feel quite shaky and I'd start right. to feel some quite physical symptoms just sort of slightly sweaty slightly shaky just craving um, so I'd like make my excuses I actually even at one point invented a son who I used to just say to people look I've got to go home my nine-year-old Kieran he's at home babysitter trouble and yeah. then nobody could possibly dispute that it seemed like yeah. a really good excuse for getting out of stuff so I would have to go home in order to have a drink that if, that shaky itchy yeah. that stuff that sounds like what happens when you try and give up smoking yeah. So, yeah but I didn't have anything at all nothing at all physically so this is why I think this it's Alan Carr stuff. It's it's some kind of magic thing that obviously makes your brain think in different ways. Because the first day, I remember driving to work on the first day, the first Monday, after my last drink, and just almost singing to myself because I knew I'd never have another hangover. And I felt so good. I felt incredibly healthy. I could see a sparkle in my eyes. The weight dropped off. I just felt amazingly, you know, a, a really amazing physical change. But I didn't get any withdrawal symptoms. Right. So it's, it's interesting whether or not the 8 o'clock kind of shakes I used to get were just psychological. psychological. Well, I mean, that does bring us on to the question. That, and it is true. There are different ways to be addicted to alcohol. Yeah. You can be addicted to alcohol in a physical withdrawal, yeah. delirium tremors sense. Yeah. Or you can be addicted psychologically. Yeah. Now, I know people who have been both. And I would say, actually, oddly... It's the people who are addicted to it psychologically that have been the tougher people, oddly, to deal with, as in to approach their drinking. Yeah. Because they immediately they say, but I haven't got a problem because I can go without. Yeah. But when you point out that they've never gone without when yeah. you've been in a, yeah. in a public setting, then it becomes about fun. Now, fun is... Yeah, you did a show called "Addicted to Fun" yep, in yep. Edinburgh. Yeah, and I'm, I'm taking it back again this year actually because I did it in a really small room last year and I had to turn some people away and I felt it deserved another. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. Um, but yeah, I think that I've I've always been somebody who's quite sort of all through my teenage years I was really anxious socially, really didn't like to go out. I was that classic person, and if I describe this, I know other people, some other people will recognise this instantly, and other people will think, "What the hell are you talking about?" That feeling where you plan to go out somewhere and you started getting ready to go out and maybe an hour or half an hour before you're due to leave home, I would just look at myself in the mirror and think, "Why? what on earth gave you the idea you could possibly do this? Why are you doing this? Nobody wants you there. You know, they only invited you by mistake. You've got the wrong day. I, I would... It was like this kind of voice of like a, like a Victorian parent or yeah. something would appear in my head and basically tell me I couldn't go. And I spent a lot of time as a teenager in my first few years as a student turning down invitations or not turning up at stuff. And also I would get physically ill, you know, because the stomach, my yeah. stomach would turn over and I'd, I could actually make myself ill just thinking about going out. And so I think it was probably only my early 20s when I was working for the first time and there was a kind of Friday night ritual all going to a wine bar this was the 80s it was wine yeah. bar time and it took me a few weeks to pluck up the courage to go out because I thought they don't want me there they're just inviting me for a joke after a while they kept persisting saying no please come with us so eventually I went out and I had a glass of wine and suddenly I could talk to people and it suddenly made it okay and I could be fun and I'd have another glass another glass yeah. and I realised that people would actually want me there because I was fun 
but I was only fun when I drank. And when I stopped drinking, I literally just stopped being fun again. Yeah, that's so interesting because there's someone in my life who was like that for a really long time. They gave up alcohol because actually they had an incident with their health when they became entirely unrelated to alcohol and they had to give up drinking it and then they just never went back to alcohol. I think it's something to do with when you are really sick as well and I mean like physically sick you get almost like a sort of a what's it called like a Proust's Madeline yes, thing yeah, about I can certain see that. stuff yeah, but you're yeah. like I can't yeah. I'm a bit like that with cider I've never been able to drink cider <laughs> after the first time I drank cider because yeah. all I smell is vomit, vomit. basically yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I find white wine really well I mean I don't drink anything now but I could happily sniff red wine and because that was my that yeah. was like my it was like I'd found my soulmate. Yeah. you know if I had a big romance in my life it would be with red wine that was my thing because I always felt you got a better class of hangover on red wine as well, much more rounded and mellow. Whereas <laughs> white wine, even now, the smell of white wine can just make me feel really ill because it's a very acidic Yeah, like, well, see, of, see, I have the opposite. I yeah. don't like the smell of red wine. Yeah. In fact, I had to move in a cinema a while ago because um, somebody had a glass of red wine. Oh, wow. Wine. I could have told you the grape and country. Yeah. I mean, I, I, even uh, now, like... I bet you could. Yeah. That's because that was... When my dad went from being a regular drinker yeah. to an alcoholic, oh, that's what exactly. it was. It was yeah. red wine. And it, I, and I'd never really thought about it until oh, I actually that's went... that's interesting. No, I yeah. can't bear the smell yeah. of that. There's something about it just smells like defeat and failure. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm sure that I liked it because I really had this idea that drinking made me A, fun and B, sophisticated. And red wine just seemed like a kind of nice yeah. middle class thing to drink. Oh, class you know, and wine! And is something I, I, that's I come definitely, up a lot on this. you know, from my two big kind of ways of drinking were either with a big group of blokes down the pub drinking bitter. So I was a very macho kind of yeah. sexist drinker. Never try and call the sort of girl drinks. Yeah. Um, or it was red wine at home, and those are my two, my two big sort of drinking things. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd really turn my nose up at cocktails or mixed drinks or. I mean, they didn't even have Prosecco when I was drinking, but now I just think, oh, I wouldn't have drunk that at all. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so if that was your two ways of drinking... Yeah. And you I mean, were... they drank loads of other stuff yeah, as well, yeah. obviously. But, those but no, I mean, they, they both speak yeah. to me a bit because, mm. number one, yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever... And, and again, this has come up a lot, yeah. women saying they would never drink a heart. Yeah. They felt yeah. some form of... of yeah trying to keep drink for drink with the to, men around them. I used to go up and I'd say, can I have two pints of bitter? Can we have one of them in a glass for a lady? Because it just made me laugh. Yeah. Because, you know, that whole thing of a half in a glass for a lady. Yeah. And I thought, oh. you know, I felt I felt as on some cutting edge of yeah. pioneering feminists yeah. drinking pints. But the other thing you did was doing then, presumably, because you live by yourself, yeah. was drinking on your own. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Which is something that I, I, I cannot yeah. do because... It's the only rule that I've ever set myself. Yeah, and it is it is a rule, isn't it? And if you look at... I always used to look at the list of how you know you're an alcoholic. I mean, from about... You know, from a few years before I gave up, I was looking up those lists, which I think should show you. Yeah. It should have shown me something. And the top thing is always, do you drink alone? And I remember my mother always saying, well, don't drink alone. But I thought, well, I live alone. Yeah. So seriously, what the hell am I supposed to do? Because every magazine, every newspaper article said it's absolutely fine to have a glass of red wine with your supper. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's not fair. You know, I'm a single person. This isn't fair. Not only do I have to pay more for holidays, not only do I get seated in a restaurant near the toilets, but I'm not allowed to drink in my own home. This is bollocks. So I'd get a bottle of red wine and I think I'll have a glass of it. 
and I had one of those, you know, those vacuuming things. Those kind of, it's kind of like a white suction pump. And you're, because this is how serious I was about wine, yeah. you're supposed to suck out kind of the air and seal up a bottle after oh, you've really? had a glass. And I, the amount of time I spent every evening un, yeah. <laughs> vacuuming this thing, and then think, oh, I have another glass. And then I thought, I'll stick to half a bottle. Because, again, that's yeah. very civilised, isn't it? That's yeah. middle class, half a bottle of red wine. That's Who basically can... two cups of coffee or something, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I do that, and again, with the vacuum in, and, yeah. you know, like, which you sort of pump. Um, if anyone knows what I mean, it's this kind of pump device, and it puts a little rubber seal in the bottle of wine. But if I went slightly over the half... Right. I would have to go further because you can't leave slightly less than half a bottle of red wine because yeah. that would really offend my sense of evenness because then the next day I'd have less than half a bottle. So, of course, I'd have to finish that half bottle and then open a new one and I'd get all out of sync. Right. So if I went over half, I'd have to finish. And every, every single evening I'd fool myself into thinking I'm only going to have half a bottle of wine and virtually every evening... I went over the half and had to finish the bottle well, of wine. I mean, it's not the same, and I don't want to diminish it at all, but, yeah. I mean, I have the same conversation with myself about a packet of biscuits. Of course you do. It's exa- it is the same. It's exactly the same kind of thing. You think, I'm just going to have those, and I'm going to put the rest in the yeah. cupboard, and then you keep bringing it out. Yeah. I remember, you remember that cooking chocolate? You know, the, yes. in the olden... My mum used to have a bar of cooking chocolate. Yeah. She, she had no idea of this at all. And I started taking squares of the cooking chocolate, and I keep making it look like she must have just used more than she'd remembered. Yeah. And eventually I finished the cooking chocolate, so I had to go down to the supermarket, buy a new bar of cooking chocolate, but then take off enough squares yeah. to put it back to where it was. And cooking chocolate is vile. It's absolutely vile, but it's just kind of impulse control thing. Yeah, I mean, I have... And I, no you know, I was always like a nail biter, yeah. and it's all the kind of same... You know, nail I'm sure bite, it's part of the same. Nail biting is one of the few things I've actually broken, to be honest. One I have, of the few bad habits. I have I broken have. nail biting, but I now pick my fingers, and sometimes I pick them so badly my fingerprints don't work on my phone. The other day, I could not get into my bank account because I'd basically bitten my fingerprints off. Jesus, I know. So, yeah, you know, I've stopped. Well, we I've stopped drinking, habits. but that's kind of. Well, okay, so that was going to be self, my self-destructive thing. That was going to be my next doing. question. You know, you look at, I mean, a lot of people when they give up drinking. I mean, they warn you of it, but yeah. actually, there's some relatively high-profile examples of this, as yeah. in people who've given up drink, drugs, whatever. When you have one one addiction and you move and you get yeah. rid of that, you quite often do move on to another one. How did you not eat all the donuts? Take up smoking spliffs. I think that one of the things that really dramatically happened when I gave up drinking... So I've never, I never had any worries about my weight. I was always very... You know, it wasn't something I ever thought about. I'd never dieted or anything. I was just very lucky. I was quite high energy, so I always kept really slim. And as a result of drinking lots of red wine and beer particularly, I had started to put the weight on. When I stopped drinking the dramatic loss of weight was such a joy and such a significant part of me going, oh, I'm not going to drink. I think that helped with not eating the donuts. Right. Because it was like, oh, I, I hadn't even realised, I hadn't even sussed that like, alcohol had calories in. Yeah. Because it's liquid. How can it make you yeah. fat? I don't understand that. Still, you know, by, physically, I don't. It just seems weird. So that was quite big. I tried for about six months. I drank so much chamomile tea that I basically must have had to have a wee about every half an hour because that really does make you... Yeah. I stained a teapot yellow through drinking so much chamomile tea um, and sort of weaned myself off it. I do, I do, um, 
you know, packs of biscuits, sweets. I do, I do eat far more than I used to, I think. But I think it's mostly just little self-destructive habits, like, yeah. if I say, biting fingers or, you know, those kind of things that I do yeah. now, I think, little nervous habits. So can I ask, at what point, was there, was there an incident that you thought this... Because you said you were looking it up on the internet. Mm-hmm. Was there a point at which you thought, yes? Yeah. Was it a slow slow growing like nagging or was there literally a point like an incident that made you say no this is it I have to stop it was a couple of things I mean I had a friend who was always my drunker friend and that's that's quite a deceptive thing to have I'm not sure that she drank that much more than me but I could hold it together a lot more I remember going to stay with her at a flat in Newcastle she was living in or she's staying in a flat belonging to a new boyfriend of hers I remember as she let me into the flat she said in something like oh it's got a burger alarm it's the dates of his children's birthdays and she briefly told me the dates of the birthdays the two of us went out in Newcastle got absolutely slaughtered we get back to the flat she cannot remember the burger alarm but because she was sort of always seemed drunker than me I would then suddenly almost get sober yeah and I remembered the dates somehow from the depths of things. I put her to bed and I was convinced. I put her in the recovery position and I was convinced that she would be dead in the morning. She wasn't. She was actually up early listening to the archers and getting breakfast. So that was nice. So I always had a drunker friend. So some part of the time I was kind of looking up almost for her. You know, is yeah. she an alcoholic? Not am I an alcoholic? But I think I was probably feeling myself. Yeah, I mean, I went to um, a... I was invited to my boss's... 40th birthday party and there was lots and lots of really good red wine and all lovely people um, you know lots of lovely kind of well to do middle class people and I was my normal self and I've always been frank even when I'm sober I will answer a question if you ask me a, yeah. a, a question I will give you the answer and I was telling somebody about some sexual encounter I'd had in graphic detail which I would do even when sober Yeah, but they were really offended by this and it all became apparently because I was drunk and then I spilt some stuff and I nearly fell down the stairs and I don't think I'd been any worse or behaved any differently but when I got into work on the Monday it was clear that something had happened or that I deeply offended him, his wife and their friends and my boss was was a wonderful man I mean just the best boss I ever worked for I'm very very fond of him and in fact he and his wife turned up in the front row of my show in Edinburgh last year on the final day without any warning at all so I had to slightly modify the way I told the story (laughs) Um, but yeah so I had to have that awful thing where you you have to sit down with your boss and he said something like, Jane, you're great. You're, you're great at your job. Like, no, I wasn't, but he thought I was, so that was nice. And you're a really good person, but when you're drunk, you're horrible. And I think you've got a problem. And I think it probably took about three or four months from then to really sort of do something about it. And I remember waking up in a Premier Inn in Nottingham. We'd been out for our Christmas do, which was a trip to Jonglers. And ironically, at that point, I had no idea I was ever going to do stand-up. And we had jeered the... We had been horrible. You know, like the worst yeah. drunken Christmas party. I had no... I thought I was helping. I was that, <laughs> I was that drunk heckler. And, you know, getting shushed and nearly thrown out of the club. And then afterwards I was dancing amazingly well, I thought, with a complete stranger. And then as we waited for the taxi, my friend's now ex-husband started to kind of flirt with me and we ended up snogging in front of my friend. And I woke up the next morning in a premiere in Nottingham and just before Christmas... And I, that's when I really thought, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Yeah, I nearly got thrown out of a club, and I, you know, snogged my friend's husband in front of her. 
were in your late 30s at this point? Late, uh, yeah, late 30s, about 38, yeah. Okay, so question. I mean, obviously, it was very... Journalism mm. is very boozy. I yeah. know that. Yeah. I've worked in journalism. Perhaps if you'd done a different job, maybe it might be Yeah, it different. might be. Yeah, I do, I do know there's a certain element of, you know, we've been talking about things like when you get a phone call in the middle of the night. Yeah. And there was a certain part of me that would sometimes deliberately get drunk so that if that phone call came in the middle of the night, I didn't have to deal with it yeah. because I would be pissed. And so somebody else would yeah. then have to, you know, there's an element of like, I'm so scared of my job. Yeah. That if I drink, I won't have to do it. That is interesting because this is something we were talking about before I press record, which is that I had actually once had to go in at two o'clock mm. and, and I was pissed. Yeah. But that didn't seem to bother them because the, <laughs> the job needed doing. Yeah. And I think because it was important, I wasn't pissed enough that I couldn't yeah. sober up in yeah. some way. That yeah. I couldn't just say, okay. Yeah. Just concentrate. Just, and just also, you wouldn't have to actually read anything out on the radio, would you? No. See, that was a problem. No, no, no. no. Oh, there was no live. No, I would it, have had to like put sense. a microphone up and slurred. Yeah. I, I have got somewhere at home a recording of the the very last bulletins I read early morning on a particular radio station where I decided to have my leaving due the night before my final early shift. Oh, and a friend just presented me the tape. She said, your mother had secretly asked me to record your last bulletins, but I'm not going to give her this tape. <laughs> oh, my word. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you think, I mean, this is kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a stupid question, but do you think, bearing in mind that what you've learned about yourself yeah. and... Do you think your life would be different if you'd stopped earlier? I don't, I don't think so particularly. I did really well at the job I was doing. And one of the things I was really good at was schmoozing. And there was a lot of um, meeting people at conferences. There was, a lot of, yeah. there was a lot of networking. I cannot network sober. I find it really difficult. I know it sounds awful, but I think, in a sense, the time I was drinking, until it became really, really a bad thing... It was useful that yeah. I, that no, I, I agree. you know, that I wasn't scared. I don't scared. think anyone likes networking. No, sober, so I think I networked a lot better through having a couple of drinks in me. Although the time I went to turn to Helen Bowden, who was at the time head of BBC Radio Four, and I nearly threw up over her at six in the evening. That was <laughs> that was a <laughs> that was a moment. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it was here in Cambridge. Actually, we'd had one of our radio conferences. It was a marquee on a college lawn, and I'd been drinking since about four. And uh, I just thought that won't be good networking. I'm just going to have to turn away and pretend I wasn't going to say anything. Keep my mouth closed. You know? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so I, d- I don't think so. I think after I stopped drinking, carried on doing that job for a while. And then the key... Oh, I suppose the key thing I did, I nearly forgot this. Almost as soon as I gave up drinking, I'd been trying to write a novel for eight years. And I finished it and got a publishing deal within a year of stopping drinking. 
Wow. I must remember that and tell myself that because yeah. that was the other great thing that happened. You know, not just losing the weight or saving the money. Yeah, I actually wrote the novel I've been trying to write forever. You learn stuff. I mean, would I have had a different dad? Mm. No. Yeah. Would I be a different person if he hadn't been an, an alcoholic? Absolutely. Yeah. Categorically, yeah. yes. No two ways about it. Would I be a better person? I, I don't know. Was maybe it's because it's stuff you tell yourself. Yeah. But the fact that you have to have a hard shell, the fact mm. that you have to, you know be tolerant of people in and try and think this isn't I very very rarely ever get upset with my friends for stuff they do when yeah. they're drunk because yeah. I grew up learning that stuff with people yeah so in many ways I think you know it was what it was yeah and it prepared me kind of a lesson for yeah. for how the world is in a lot of ways but I don't think, like you say, the confidence that you get from it when you're younger, I don't know that I would have had that confidence. So I don't think that I would... I don't know that I would have made... I certainly don't think I'd have gone into stand-up. No. If that had been a decision that I... That I basically made pissed. At, oh, at really? Because I had to make that decision sober. Yeah. No, I couldn't I have done it. Yeah. I just thought, I can do this. Yeah, yeah. No, not I can do what they're doing. But I want to know what that feels like, yeah, I think, more yeah, the point. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Which I don't think would have been a decision that I'd made had I just no. been sitting there drinking chamomile tea. I think, for, I think for for me, I think what does what make me cross, I think, is that drink was was the be-all and end-all. You know, when I wasn't at work, it was what I did. Yeah. And it replaced relationships, it replaced hobbies, it replaced pursuing interests for quite a long time. So I think all through my 30s, which would be the period really we're talking about from about 30 to about 38 it was what I did when I got home from work it was what I did yeah um, and I didn't really do anything else I mean I went out or I went to sort of conferences and I was trying to write and didn't get there I didn't I didn't have any proper relationships particularly I think I went out with somebody for about six months at one point and that was bonded over five pints of Stella you know, yeah. I remember waking up the next morning with this guy in my bed and I was going to him, I don't know why I've got a hangover, and he had five pints of Stella last night and he just thought that was hysterical. Jesus. Um, and he was, somebody was like ridiculously much younger than me and, and like why I ever thought that would work. Um, so I, I guess there's a certain element of being kind of, sometimes I wonder what might have happened if I had been available to pursue yeah. relationships and normal stuff. But drink was just much more important to me. You know, my bottle of red wine waiting at home was really, that's what I wanted to go home to. Okay, so can I ask you where you think you'd be now if you hadn't stopped? Oh, I think I would be, you know, it doesn't even bear thinking about because I think I would have probably have lost my job. I think almost certainly, because I would have had, at some point, I was very lucky, I think, that I never got a drink drive conviction one morning. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of miles, and I would drive on a lot of motorway driving to visit, because I was looking after a group of about seven or eight radio stations at the time. So I think if I'd got a drink drive conviction, that would have been the end of my job. I would have lost the house I had then. Um... Yeah, I, I, I think it doesn't really bear thinking about what would have happened. It, it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't sustainable. No. It wasn't sustainable. Um, I stopped at a good, I stopped at a good time for me, I suppose. You know, I, yeah. I don't kind of. I try not to regret things. I think that um, I stopped before it became, yeah, you know, really dangerous. And I mean, 
presumably you I say presumably because you seem to have a good relationship with your family and you've got friends yeah. from that period so you, you stopped before it became a before I stopped, people were pushed out yeah I stopped before anyone wanted to stage an intervention um, I think there's one friend of mine who I saw her recently um, an old friend from university and she said should I have been a better friend should I have you know pointed out to you that you were drinking too much because I must admit I thought you were uh, I don't think my family ever noticed because I don't you know I don't yeah. think I spent enough of that kind of time with them you know if you're with family you do drink yeah and that was fine because you know my sister I have a couple of beers or beers yeah. with my brother that was fine but there's one friend who did sort of say and I said no if you'd actually pointed it out that would have been the worst thing in the world because you know I don't need people to point out stuff to me yeah you know I did know I was perfectly aware but also, and I would have hated you for it also, as someone who's pointed out to a lot of people mm. in their life, I mean, I, I, I always feel the need to make this clear. This isn't that I think that people are an alcoholic mm. because of, you know, because I judge people on what yeah. they drink. It's because categorically I just happen to know a crap load of them. Yeah. I don't, yeah. partly because I come from a big Irish family, mm. partly because... I worked in journalism. Yes, I worked exactly. in comedy. These are areas yeah. that, you, that they yeah. do sort of, yeah. sort of amass. So yeah. it's not like I, I, it's not like I'm someone who thinks, oh, they're having a glass of wine a night. They're an alcoholic. It's most certainly not. It's mm. people who genuinely are yeah. starting to yeah. impact on their health. But even when you talk to them, it doesn't make any difference, Jane. Yeah. It has to come from them. Well, I, it? So, I, I mean, there's somebody who, not that long ago, at a gig, and I thought, oh God, I hope he's aware and that he's got people around him. And actually, a few weeks later, I heard that he'd given up drinking yeah. and, and it stayed off. You know, so. You sort of felt, I don't need to say anything, but I'm just going to keep her. Well, okay, so that's interesting because you do have this experience. You yeah. didn't go to AA, you didn't, yeah. you haven't. How do you have any drive in you to kind of find other people like you, or is it something best for you that's best dealt with on your own? I'm not sure I'm always necessarily helpful. I, I've, I've had sort of conversations with other people who've given up drink, but they've gone the AA route. Um, you know, somebody said to me, would you be my sponsor? And I, I, I can't because I don't have that kind of background. Um, and I, then I sort of feel like a fraud. You know, I think, oh, God, I'm not a proper alcoholic yeah. um, because I sort of did it differently. Um, I, I am alert to when it happens or somebody's drinking too much. And I guess I would, you know, in the case of the person who I, I saw and I realised there was an issue, it was more like... I don't know that person very well, but I'm now aware of this thing. Yeah. And I'm just going to, I don't know, just kind of watch yeah. and just be aware. And, and when he said, I'm giving up, I was like, well done, mate, you know, and I'm really pleased. And, yeah. you know, I gave up all these years ago and it, it can be done and it more that kind of thing. I don't, I think it's quite, it's, it's I mean, I'm only talking about it now, you know. I, um, I, yeah, it's it's like um, because I found it quite easy to stop. That's where I think, oh, I bet other people won't find it as easy, and that's why I feel a bit of a fraud. Yeah, um, but I couldn't have. Oh, but I couldn't have stopped any other way. But also, it's it's. I mean, I sometimes feel that you know, I I see. I mean, and a lot recently. I think Nicoa, I think Jonathan Ashworth and Nicoa are doing mm, a really great yeah. job. I can't take yeah. him out of 
stuff that people have sent me saying, have you seen this, have mm. you seen this? Like friends, people on Twitter, whatever, sending me stuff saying, have you read this? And yeah. there are articles everywhere yeah. and they're yeah. talking about it. And a lot of people have a lot worse time than I yeah. had. Of, yeah. of, from the point of view of, we, we weren't beaten up. We weren't, yeah. you know, we weren't physically abused in, in, in any way. And therefore you think, you know, and also he had a job. Yeah. I mean, that didn't necessarily correlate to the idea that we have money because obviously booze costs a lot of money. But that thing you said about if you've got a job, at least then you're not drinking during the day. Yeah. And I, 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 that's, that was my fear. If so I, lost I, my job, so you I know. used to think, or now, sorry, so I look at it now and I think people must look at me and go, but that's not my experience. He, mm. wasn't, he yeah. wasn't an alcoholic. But the key, I think the key sort of thing that you share with people, that idea that you... I mean, I watched that. I watched the thing that um, Aidan Gillen thing of the, where he played Dave Allen. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. The other night. Yeah. And I watched it and I thought, you know, it's not the same experience, but what I, you look at and you see with Dave Allen mm. is he watched somebody he loved to drink himself to death. Yeah. And that's yeah. incredibly, that to me is the pertinent thing. Mm. That's the thing that unites us, not whether or not yeah. we got knocked yeah. about or whether yeah. or not we... It, the, the point is, we all were in that situation we couldn't do anything to stop it. So ultimately with you, you share the same experience, which is that you drew the conclusion that it wasn't for you anymore. Yeah, and I think um, one thing I, I note, so people who I don't think got any experience of addiction, they'll look at somebody who perhaps dies, you know, or, or gets themselves horribly addicted to stuff, and they'll go, oh, God, they're so stupid. Yeah. I look at it and I think, A there but for the grace of God and also I still to this day feel a slight sense of seduction about it I still feel and I'm quite scared of it that almost that sense of how simple life would be if that's all you did yeah. and I can't believe I'm saying that but that kind of um, you know that drinking yourself to death thing is you, you can I, 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 it's awful to sort of say it but I no. understand the you know, Nick, Nicolas Cage in um, Leaving Las Vegas, that yeah. kind of sense of this is what I'm going to do. Well, I mean, absolutely correct, because my dad hasn't... He's not worrying about Brexit. He's yeah. not... Yeah. You know, it, it's just... He, he, he made that choice, and that's yeah. what yeah. he did. And I, in, it's not the same, but I, I mean, I come from a small town, and I hated it. Yeah. I, I, it's grown on me a little bit more as I've got older, because I can see the value yeah. in small towns now. But even so, yeah. I used to look at people that were my age who were happy there, and yeah. I used to think, I wish I could be happy here, yeah. because I could afford a house here, and yeah. I could, you know, just work in that local shop, and I would always be near like my family. And, yeah, yeah. And oh, that just sounds like hell, well, absolute it, it, hell. It, it does, doesn't it? But, but equally. If, if you could be happy, happy with it, if you could be happy with it, then that's the easiest thing. Oh, but there's always do. that kind of question, you know. When I was a sort of a swatty girl at school, and I was doing like Oxbridge entrance exam, and there's always that classic question of like, would you rather be a happy fool or a yeah or a I can't remember what the <laughs> a, 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 sad, a sad person who knows lots of stuff. Yeah. I can't remember. It's like, oh, there's no question in my mind. I'd always rather be the sad genius than the yeah. happy fool. You know, it's like I didn't. Uh, I, I was always. I was always as a teenager, you know, seduced by yeah. darkness and, and destroying yourself and, you know, well, poets, me, me you know, too, the whole I, Sylvia Plath kind of uh, Keats. Absolutely, you know. me too. And But I assumed that's because that was the way that I sort of 
that's the way a lot of men in my family were. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, I don't like, know where mine came from at all because I come from an incredibly nice, normal, happy. But you are a creative person. Yeah. And alcohol and creativity are weirdly linked. They are linked. So they ways. are linked. Unfortunately, of course, when I was drinking, I couldn't be creative. I could. Yeah. I could be creative, but I couldn't complete. I couldn't get it down on paper. I couldn't complete it. You know, That's I had this really kind of half-finished book forever. So how are you around booze now? Does it, does it I don't know, wink at you or, or...? No, it doesn't wink at me. I can walk up and down drinks aisles in supermarkets quite happily looking for the crisps, you know, or the, or the tonic water or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that um, occasionally if I, like I say, if I smell red wine or I see someone pouring a bottle of red wine, I think to myself, I wish I hadn't been so stupid... I wish I hadn't destroyed my ability to enjoy a glass yeah. of red wine. But actually, realistically, I never enjoyed a glass of red wine. I always enjoyed several glasses of red wine. So the idea of one glass of wine is just completely alien to me anyway. Yeah. Um, so I'm fine. I don't particularly choose to go out drinking. Is I, your partner drink? No, not at all. Now, he, he has absolutely no concept of the understanding of why you would get drunk at all he just doesn't like the taste and he doesn't like what it does to him and his body's a temple and it just isn't something he's ever done yeah so that he's got that complete lack of understanding about why i would have got drunk and enjoyed it um i work in a job that involves quite a lot of traveling as well my day job i'm I'm working as a trainer as part kind of a small team we go to different cities and we live in hotels and i had to make quite clear from the start you know i said look i don't like to go out with people from work after work I just, I, I'm happy at work, yeah. but in the evening I just want my own time. That's not entirely true, but it's an easy way of yeah. saying, I know that you are, I want a meal. You, you know that yeah. very British thing where you go out and you plan to t- eat at some point, but you never get around to it because you're drinking. Yeah. I know that that's what they're going to, you know, that what I don't want to find myself is in a pub while people are getting rounds in, while I sit there with a sparkling water or a Diet Coke. And all I want to do is just go and have something to eat. Yeah. And they're just enjoying drinking or they've gone to an artisan gin distillery or something. Like, what is the interest in that for me? Yeah, really none. none whatsoever. Okay, so, so, I mean... So socially it's changed me. I just don't, I don't do it, but partly because I just don't want to... And the, the thing, one of the things I come, the conclusions I come to in my show, though, is the thing I really miss is, you know, the bragging? Yeah. You know, the bragging the next morning, oh, my God, I'm so, I was so destroyed last night. You'll never guess what I did. I threw up in a hedge and I couldn't find my house. That kind of thing. Yeah. I really miss that because nobody does that a bit being sober. You know, I, I go no. out and have a lovely evening and I go to, go to see a nice film and then I watch some television and I have a good meal. But nobody's interested in me bragging about how sober I was. No, that's, and, and to be honest, I think that's part of the sort of, I mean, I've mostly spoke to comedians and journalists on this mm. because that's 75% of people I know <laughs> for a start. But, yeah, I mean, they are people who intrinsically seek out the story, yeah. the funny yeah. bit, the thing in this that yeah. says that. And I have, I mean, I just can't, I have yet to encounter anyone who's done as much physical damage to themselves while mm. drunk yeah. as I have. Really, and when I think about those stories, all of those stories are funny stories. All of them I present as—I mean, I, I broke my toe the other day, falling over the cat, <laughs> and it reminded me how I broke my toe when I was—I was about—I'd I mean, moved out of my parents' house, but yeah. I'd gone back for an event 
like that was in local so I was going to um, a friend of mine's child was having their child yeah. christened and yeah. I don't generally do church but I was like I will go yeah. back to that so I went back I went out the night before I got completely smashed stumbled stumble back to my parents mm-hmm. house which is where I'm staying my dad was tiling their bathroom <laughs> and he had bought not at that point yeah, obviously yeah, so he, he was halfway it, through it was halfway through and he was a bugger for leaving stuff lying yeah. around and he had left these tiles that he got and I'm not joking they were about the size of this table right. Right? and they were incredibly expensive and he I'd had to look <laughs> through look at them earlier because yeah. he was so pleased with yeah. them I stumble up oh. the, and there is this enormous crack and I thought oh fuck I've broken one of those <laughs> tiles so I'm sort of stumbling around my brother who was young at this point 12, 13, yeah. something like that comes out of his bedroom it's like I mean he's seen this site yeah. many times before I mean he's seen my both like both my parents shit faces yeah. seen his sister shit faces no big deal and he was like what what we should do is we should like slice open a tile yeah. take out the broken tile yeah and then when he if when he discovers right that there's one tile yeah. missing he'll, he'll assume that's being yeah. here when he'll, he'll yeah. complain and I'll give him a new one and I'm like great idea yeah, yeah. so we're I'm Yes, and we're trying to get through, and we go through this whole stack of tiles, and none of them are broken. Right? Oh, right, none okay, yeah. And I was like, "What was that noise then?" And he suddenly went, "Oh my god, look at your toe!" <gasps> <laughs> and it, one of my toes was basically just hoiling oh. like upwards. Oh. It was absolutely disgusting. And at that point, didn't hurt no. nothing. No. Next morning, oh, okay. I have to go to church <laughs> in a pair of my brother's trainers because even oh, like at, no. at that age his feet were much bigger than mine were and not the nice pair of shoes I bought no. because I had smashed up my off. foot oh, yeah all the time like all bones lumps yeah. bumps what grazes yeah. whatever and there's nothing else like falling off my bike all, all yeah. the accidents that I've had in unrelated things mm. Bose has been a good 50% oh, really? of them, I'd say I, I've been quite lucky i got a, a kind of flat bit on my nose where I walked into you know a revolving door at a hotel in yeah. Dublin and I misjudged where the where the outlet of the door was I walked into one of yeah. the other sides one of my friends still laughs at that and it was like really painful and then there was one morning after quite a heavy night and I was going shopping and I was going down a concrete stairs at a car park and I fell the whole length oh my of the God. thing it's made my stomach go cold um, grazed my hands really badly but the thing that happened for, for about two weeks afterwards and I can still feel it now 20 years on when it's cold is I had a bruise to match every step all down oh my leg God. and on my shin you know how shins oh bruise God. so badly and I can tell you still where each step of that was and that was like a morning after type deal but yeah but that was about it really that was fine it's there weren't any I, I can't think of any other injuries I, no, I am carnage I mean there was, there was a few nights there was a night I slept on the back seat of my car in France because I couldn't remember how to get back into the hotel I'd forgotten to take the little entry code yeah. with me so I just slept in my car um, I think that was probably one of the nights where I almost kind of thought oh fuck I've really I'm really yeah and I thought oh I've got my car that's fine uh-huh. <laughs> which is quite comfy so did you did you come from a drinking family? No, not at all. Um, my dad, apparently once early on in their marriage, he had come back drunk from the pub. So my mum said, you're never going back again. So he would go to the pub on Christmas lunchtime with my grandfather down the Bold Forester in Southsea. And that was it for my dad's pub life. He did, uh, he did homebrew, because every dad did in the yeah. 70s. The thing that... Um, 
I've had to check with my sister that my memory is right, is we did used to have Kingfisher, um, uh, woodpecker. We used to have woodpecker cider with our Sunday lunch because I think my parents thought it was a soft drink. And oh, I, like soft cider? No, no, it was proper. It no, was no, woodpecker. No, but there, there oh, yeah, they, cider, I think they there? thought there it was, was like, like yeah. apple juice or something. And I do remember that on a Sunday afternoon, I'd always feel like I was about to explode with a tantrum. And that's what it was. So I think it, that might have been what it was. We, so we drank a lot of homebrew, you know, when I was kind of like, um, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 or something. Um, my brother and I would go to swimming lessons, and I seem to remember we were allowed a shandy when we got back, which obviously you could make increasingly stronger. But it didn't really feel particularly like a drinking family. We had a Christmas, there was alcohol. We could ask, you know, it was always like, what do you want to drink? And yeah. you had to find a drink that you liked because that's what you're going to have. But no, there was no sort of significant drinking. My older brother and sister, we would have beers. You know, if we all got together as adults, we, yeah. would, we would get a bit tipsy, you know, with a takeaway. Yeah. i get a bit pissed, but not significantly at all. No, I, I, it was almost like it was my thing. It was my discovery. And it was quite a long time after leaving home, really. That, that is, I was, but I mean, I, my point was to do this was to try and find some idea of what affects what people drink. Yeah. And actually, I would say the environment they grew up in, sometimes it seems pretty clear, and other times it, it seems yeah. to me that people like you say no background in it, no. and then did, and then people like me, loads of background in it, and then still what, didn't become an alcoholic, but still drank it yeah. honestly and didn't yeah. put any thought into it. Yeah. So I think it, it, I think it comes from. It's not just your yeah. family; it's I wider think, society. I think, isn't yeah, it? I think also my working background. You know, I mean, I was a journalist yeah. in the sort of mid eighties onwards, an era of like wine bars. Yeah. Um, or going down the pub. You know, we still went down the pub at lunchtime in those days. Or you would have a beer at lunchtime yeah. and still go back and do, finish your job. But Portsmouth, Southsea, I've lived there. Yeah. They are boozy places. Yeah, I suppose it is. I mean, you know... It, As I in they're set up... For, they're they're, they're kind of set of, up for the, the old style when the Navy was yeah, coming in. Yeah, but I mean, I never used to... to drink. Yeah, there are a lot of places to drink. I, I did not go to pubs as a teenager. I wasn't drinking at all as a teenager. You know when people normally go yeah. out drinking. So for me, it was... Oh, no, I'll tell you what, I really, I think my first example of drinking heavily, so really at home it was from sort of early 20s onwards, yeah. and that was very much a work environment thing. When I was 20, so I didn't drink a lot as a student, until I was 20 and I went to America on an exchange term, I went to Dartmouth College, which is the place where the guys who wrote Animal House oh, really? went, so it's, it's got fraternities. Yeah. Um, and I went for a summer term, which is like this extra term during the summer. And what the fraternities would do, they'd look at all the list of all the exchange students and pick all the women and invite them to all their parties. And we had a guy called Alastair from Edinburgh University, and they didn't realise that was a man's name, so he would get invited too. And so we'd get invited to all the fraternity parties almost every night of the week. And there would be a beer keg in the basement, and the aim of the party was just to drink the keg dry. And I think that was probably where I first just started. There was nothing else to do. I had two lectures a week at this. You're on a campus, miles from anywhere. Yeah. I couldn't drive, so I couldn't get anywhere. Where is Dartmouth? Is it Vermont? It's in New, well, it's on the Vermont-New Hampshire border. Okay. So it's just into New Hampshire. So you're way in the back of beyond. There's one train a day goes through and stops at a place called White River Junction. And that would take you down to New York or to Boston. But it was too far to go. Yeah. Um, so I was stuck on this campus with a couple, uh, three other people from my university and a couple from Edinburgh University and all these fraternity guys. And so what else are you going to do? So that was probably where I really started to think, 
well, drink is a way to pass the time. Yeah. You know, and it's a way to have fun. It's that old thing of being a bit shy about going to parties. But if I had a drink in my hand. So, can I ask, what have you... What... You were using... How do I word this? I don't want to say, what have you done to tackle your sort of insecurities yeah. in that sense? But what... what What's enabling you to do it with? Because there was an underlying issue there, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, definitely. So I suppose, what, what have you done to deal with the, un- well, with the underlying Well, I don't think issue? I have dealt with the underlying issue at all. Well, you I, seem quite confident. Yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's just, as I get older, I get more confident. I, would, I still, honestly, I had to... I can't even tell you how nervous I get about certain things. Um, this is fine, because it's you, and I like mm. you and know you. Um, I was invited to... It was a 50th anniversary party for the radio station where I worked for a while and then left. And I thought, I've got to go. I really should go to this. And it held no pleasure at all for me because all I could think about was anxiety. And as I got out of my car, I saw somebody else who I know and who I knew would be feeling a similar way. Yeah. Somebody who still works there and knew everybody, but I just knew looking at him I thought he's going to be feeling like me and I sort of went up to him and sort of, we walked arm in arm into the party and we both said to each other I'm so glad I found you en route because it gave, gave us each somebody else yeah I still spend an awful lot of time in loos at parties really yeah because it's a safe place you know when you just I've, I've done a round of a room found nobody to talk to and ended up back in the loo again oh I hate it yeah so I've done nothing I think it's just that um, if I'm there as myself, say I'm there as a comedian, or dinner parties are okay, because I know I've been invited for me. Yeah. My particular problem is being invited to things where I'm not sure they really mean a special invitation for me. Okay. I, I, I feel anxious about things where I feel I've just been invited to make up the numbers, or like they don't really want me there. But if I know that everyone wants, is waiting to see me, yeah, that makes it a lot easier. That's why comedy is fine. Comedy, I have no anxieties about at all, because you're the turn. Yeah, you've got a reason to be there. I can walk into the grottiest pub in the world. I was just remembering a, a gig I did in. Well, I didn't do it because it didn't happen yeah. in the Forest of Dean. Walking into some grotty pub in like Fred West Country, saying "Hello, I'm the turn for the night," and not having any qualms at all, not feeling the slightest bit nervous. But you asked me to walk into that pub and just order a drink. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Actually, but oddly, it's, it's, it's easier now to be on your own, I think. It is. Because, you yeah. know, you've got, like, you, you just tit around with your phone, you, you see, go yeah, on Twitter, you do... It's not perhaps being on my own. I will ask questions of myself. So I travel a lot on my own. I go on holiday a lot on my own. I walk into restaurants on my own. I'm very happy with it. It's more walking into a crowded room where everyone's having a good time. Yeah. And I think they don't actually need me here. I do not add anything to this. I don't know why but, they invited but most me. But they don't either, do they? Well, I just think, oh, they're all they're all each other's friends. And they don't actually like me. I still have this conviction oh, I mean, that people I, don't like me. You know, I, the... I get that, but it particularly manifests itself with me with Facebook groups. Oh, weirdly. okay, that's really funny. Like, if, I, I mean, there's a couple of Facebook groups I've had to join because yep. they were useful in some way yeah. to my life, but I find them all to be staggeringly cliquey, and, and I absolutely hate. Yeah. And if I comment, and then if I comment on a post, yeah. And nobody likes it. I think, oh, they all think I'm a fucking knob, don't they? And, and do you delete the post? <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Despite, particularly if I think, you know, like, for example, um, if people are asking questions on something that involves, like, the law. Yeah. 
I mean, because I'm not an expert in the law, but I am an expert. Well, I know a lot about the law, media law, yeah. and actually, what you can post on social Absolutely, media does yeah. actually fall into that. Yeah. And I think, well, if you don't want my, uh, yeah. if you haven't yeah. been nice enough to like my actually legally yeah. expert advice, you can fuck off. But uh, yeah, I find I find groups uh, intimidating. Always uh, when I was younger. Yeah. Groups of women, in yeah. particular, terrifying. Oh, I, I terrified. I still women. find groups of women absolutely terrifying. You know, I said I was a bit of a blokey drinker. I remember, you know, when I was first in Lincoln, where I spent, you know, most of my drinking was done, and my biggest job was um, being invited round to somebody's house, you know, and it was all the women from work. Yeah. And I just sat there, and I was like, I dressed wrong. I was too drunk. They were all talking about curtains. Uh, and I thought I have nothing to add to this conversation I feel completely alien and it feels like I'd actually rather go and talk about football which I equally well don't know that yeah. much about but it's an easier it felt like an easier conversation to have than and than, also in that strange way stuff. you don't feel like you're failing yeah. if you don't know particularly yeah. about yeah. about something you yeah. know hey what are you guys talking yeah. about oh this is I've got nothing because yeah. then you fall back on I to me you fall back on your journalism yeah. and you just ask lots of yeah, questions yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, uh, okay. Or humour. Yeah. So it turns out that you like uh, like Nordic walking. Yeah. I don't know what that yeah. is. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, when it's something about, I suppose, something like, that it feels like you're supposed to know about. Like they were all talking about like Delia Smith. Yeah. And I just oh, cooking. I, I just went oh, I yeah. fucking hate Delia Smith. She's a patronising cow. It turns out that's not what you're supposed to say yeah. when the, when somebody comes out with the main course and it's yeah. a Delia Smith lasagna. So <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, that's, you know, I'm kind of, I get outspoken in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, I just upset people or I spend my time in the loo. I just can't quite do it. I just don't have the, um, but it's fine because the point is nobody invites me to places anymore. You know, nobody's going to invite me to like round to a party because I've got nothing I've got nothing to talk to anybody about. I think we should all invite Jane to a party immediately. <laughs> Please don't. Please Jane, don't. I don't think anyone has parties, particularly oh, our Oh, that's good. Anymore. Except, like, work-related Christmas yeah. do's and stuff, which I always try and be somewhere else. And I've yeah. always managed to avoid leaving parties. I've just said, no, I don't do leaving parties. To me, the high-risk place is always a wedding. In that <gasps> oh, I've got sense. a wedding to go to in summer. Um, because quite often there's and by high risk I mean uh, high risk of me getting absolutely leathered really because I have to listen to the same conversations mm-hmm. at weddings all the time because mm-hmm. I'm desperately cynical about just love and yeah. stuff like yeah, that in absolutely. general yeah. and the more cynical I get the more likely I am to have a drink the more cynical I get and you get into this cycle yeah. and then I start like how much did this fucking thing cost oh, God, you know yeah. and all of that but also because eventually people will, will then get drunk and they will get drunk and they will say to me, why have you never married? And I'm like, oh, here we are again. Here we are again. We're having the same conversation. And it might be from someone I'm actually incredibly I've fond I've had that of. since my sister's wedding when I was 17. Yeah. They, all, they all went around and they went like this to my ticket. Yeah. You'll be next. Yeah. No, I won't be. No. no. Absolutely. So, yeah, I find that I have to try not to get drunk at weddings mm. because... Usually the story is, wasn't it a lovely day? Didn't we all like it? Do you remember when Hannah, la, 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 you're like, yeah. I, I end up just leaving early. And then people go, oh, well, after you left, you never guess. And it was fantastic. And this great band played and we all yeah. had a good dance. I think I would have loved that. But there's a whole bit to get through before then. Yeah. And I find it very difficult to get weddings, particularly to get through the kind of bit where you're just sitting around drinking and talking yeah. before the meat of the entertainment happens it's easier just to go also weddings are some of the few times it's acceptable to start drinking at like 
like 10 11 o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah. yeah people are like oh. that and holidays yeah <laughs> airports and i'm like okay that'll be fine but i'm gonna need to go home at three o'clock yeah. that's what happens <laughs> someone's gonna have to wake me up during yeah. the ceremony yeah so tell me jane where can people see you are you how how well just maybe i'll, I'll word that again <laughs> Do you know where you're going to be in Edinburgh? Yet? Yes, I do. In fact, I, first off, I'm going to the Brighton Fringe. I'm doing the 1st and 2nd of June at the Carolina Brunswick. Okay. Um, and then in Edinburgh, I am doing Addicted to Fun, which is my show about drinking, at the Counting House. And I think it's something like 2.15 in the afternoon, right through the Fringe. So oh, it's, it's kind of early afternoon um, and in the loft at the Counting House, all throughout the Fringe. And then I'm also in the second half of the Fringe doing a second show that Jesus I haven't Jane. written yet. So, but that's going to be... Well, because I thought I don't want to just go to the Fringe and do the same show every day that I did last year. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing the same show every day and it's a better show and okay. it's funny and there's more material in it. But I also want to give myself a new challenge of, of moving on from there. That is a So challenge. I'm doing like a work in progress show in a tiny room. Uh, at the City Cafe later in the afternoon. Excellent. And where can people find you on the social media? Okay, I am. Um, my the thing I like most is Twitter. I'm at Jane Hill sixty four, uh, which is not my age. <laughs> well, it gives a clue to my age. Um, also, same address on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm Jane Hill Comedy. I think. Okay. But I, I really need to. Yeah, I need to do more of my Facebook page. So at the moment, it's me like going. Oh, yes, I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe. Here's my dates. My Facebook page is largely me apologising for forgetting to post something yeah, on there exactly. for ages. Yeah, exactly. But so Twitter's, the best. Twitter's my best kind of... Yeah, I always have to put the precursor out there. Yeah. I, I, I am very active on Twitter, but about 75% of it's currently about Brexit. So, you know, you're <laughs> yeah. looking for... Yeah, you're, you're OK on my Twitter at the moment because MasterChef has finished, but okay. until then it would be like a warning. Like, I'm mostly just going to be talking about like MasterChef yeah. and rubbish like that. Thank you so much, Jane. It's been That's really a interesting. Pleasure. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.